please stand with me in the reading of the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. We finished up uh, the Gospel of Mark and we're starting in the letter of Paul to the Colossians. And we are going to begin with what I titled this, an introduction. How do you get to know someone? Good, in the beginning, when you first meet them, you're introduced either by someone else who knows them or you introduce yourself. When I kind of first made my first friend, I was about five years old, first one that I remember. And every day after my chores, I would be allowed to go on a walk around the block. And as I was going down the street, there was a other boy about my age in a tree, and uh, I said, hi, my name's Bobby, what's your name? And he said, my name's David, and I ran off and ran all the way home. I was so excited <laughs> to meet a new friend. Still have talked to him uh, to this day. Friends are a valuable gift from God, getting to know somebody. A lot of times we want to jump in and, you know, give me the teaching of the book to the Colossians. But what I'm going to do first is spend this whole sermon on an introduction that might help us just to get to know them and get to know maybe Paul better than we've ever known. And so in this beginning, we're just going to get to know people in this church at Colossae. These relationships are family. There are new family in Christ, not only with those that we have here who are in Christ, but the Apostle Paul, who used this term for a believer in Christ, is our family. Paul's my brother. And all these people and the names mentioned are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're going to get to know them and grow in our love for the saints. The way you grow in love is you come to know people, to know them. And we're going to grow in knowing Paul, who begins this introduction, and the people he's writing to, the Colossians, and other people that are mentioned in this book, in this letter that Paul wrote. So Paul begins our text today, this introduction title, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. It's most likely that, I won't go into a lot of detail about Timothy, but it's most likely that he was writing the letter. Paul would have you know, possibly dictated to him and he would write, but Timothy was called by Paul as his son in the faith. He had led Timothy to the Lord, and Timothy was his understudy, right under him, uh, very close to the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote at the very end of his life, possibly right before his beheading in Rome, his final two letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. And so that's a little bit about Timothy. Paul, he, here he says an apostle. A little bit about Paul. He's first introduced in the Bible in the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by Luke. And Luke followed Paul around on his missionary journeys. They were very close together. So Luke is writing Acts. He's recording what the apostle Paul is doing. 
And when his name is mentioned, he is mentioned as Saul. And we see that in the beginning, Saul was a persecutor of the church. That's how he comes on the scene in Acts chapter 7. Verse 58, Luke records that they cast him out of the city and stoned him. This is Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. And the witnesses laid their garments, that is those who stoned him, testified against him of being worthy of stoning, laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is your introduction to Saul. Continues in chapter 8 of Acts, verses 1 through 3, and Saul approved of his execution. Saul was that authority. Saul approved of it. Yes, do it. They laid his, their cloaks at him. This is what Acts 8 is saying. Saul approved of his execution. Goes on to say that there arose a, uh, on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. This is where they're at. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. This is your continued introduction of Saul. Ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. You women weren't excluded in this ravaging of Saul. You were dragged off by him just like the men. Paul, in his own testimonies, when he came before kings, which Jesus in his conversion told him he would, he'd be a witness before kings, people, and, and to the Gentiles specifically, says this in Acts 22, verse 4, about himself when he's given his defense. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. That's what Paul said about himself. This is what I did. It's like our testimony. We, we talk about who we were, our B.C. days, our before Christ days, and then our after Christ days, which he does. But right now we're just looking at Saul, the persecutor of the early church. He says this to the Philippians in describing himself as this Hebrew of Hebrews who followed the law perfectly, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law, a Pharisee. That is the strictest keeper of the law there was. And then verse 6 of Philippians, he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. There was no one with greater zeal than Saul. And as a Pharisee, you were to squelch this new faith and religion rising amongst your Jewish brethren. And Paul did it well. But Saul has a conversion, and we read about in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, breathing them. I mean, just like a bull snorting, <clears throat> dust going, kicking, breathing threats against, and murder, kill, anger, rage against the church and against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of De at Damascus. See, doing that just in Jerusalem wasn't enough. He's going to the cities. He's going to go out. This zeal he talked about as the persecutor of the church. So that he, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That wouldn't have been a nice trip. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am 
Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus takes the persecution of his church and disciples personally. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now God sends this man named Ananias. How would you like that job? Lord says to him to go to him. In verse 15 he says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. This is Saul's conversion. Saul identified himself with this story and his testimony and in Acts 22 when he's giving his defense before this council in the tribune and tribunal with the head guy there, the tri tribune, Paul is here, he's seized by a mob in Jerusalem that have been stirred up by the Jews from Asia. They've come down there to Jerusalem and said, hey, this guy's causing all kinds of problems. They say all these accusations, they seize Paul. It's a, you know, that's a, a serious arrest. And now he's before the tribune and he gives his defense. And in Acts 22, 3, he says, I am a Jew. As he begins, he's speaking to them in Hebrew and a hush falls over in Jerusalem because they're like, hey, this guy's a, you know, speaking in this Jewish sense in the Hebrew language. I am a Jew, he says, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Jerusalem, right here. This is where I was brought up. I was educated, he says, at the feet of Gamaliel. Ooh, that is literally the highest up. That's like I graduated from Harvard here. You know what I mean? And Yale and Princeton combined. I was trained under Gamaliel. The hush would have probably gotten even quieter. Paul is this very highly educated guy. He was brought, he was born in Tarsus though in Cilicia but brought up in Jerusalem in the city educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers being zealous for God as all of you are this day that's his kind of opening this is how Saul identifies himself <clears throat> as Saul of Tarsus from Cilicia now as I get into who these people are it's good to know that when you're getting to know somebody, like where they're from, like almost everybody says, hey, Bobby, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? The very first thing. So Saul is doing that. Saul is saying, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but this is where I was brought up in Jerusalem, and this was my education. Those are just basic introduction things about how you get to know somebody. So he identifies himself uh, as Saul of Tarsus from Cilicia. This is a region in um, Asia Minor along the Mediterranean on the southern kind of Asia Minor along in the what is modern day Turkey so picturing that geographically I'm going to pull up a map here if it works and show you kind of where Tarsus is and uh, do we have the map okay so if you look down there along the Mediterranean in the south right there you see Cilicia so that's that region in Asia Minor. And then you see where the city is of Tarsus. That's where Saul is saying he grew up, right there. You see Syria off to the right. You see the island of Cyprus over here. And then you see Galatia uh, in the Phrygian region up to the north there. You see Lycia. And then you see Ephesus over there. And this, all that. So all of that we would call today like Asia Minor. And that's where... Paul is saying that he is from. And 
want you to kind of look at that Lycia there and kind of like where that red line runs a little bit is a river, a Lycian river. I didn't get a separate map for the river, but it runs up and just we'll look at another map. I guess let's go ahead and pull up the next map. So these are <coughs> where Paul says he is. He's saying he's an apostle. Now that means a sent one. He was sent out. It's what the word apostle means. He was sent by God. He was sent uh, by the church out. <clears throat> On this first missionary journey there in the purple, he goes with Barnabas, and he's sent out by the church, um, actually kind of in Antioch. He's been to Antioch, and they go on a short missionary journey, and this is kind of Barnabas's home region here, and uh, Paul, uh, beginning, it starts with Barnabas and, and, and Saul, but then it becomes Saul and Barnabas, because Saul begins to take the lead right away. In this journey, his second journey, you can see uh, kind of in the orange-gold color. Um, they go out more from uh, Jerusalem. They go back up through some of the Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. some of those you read about in Acts 16. In that first journey, revisit them. They get over to Antioch. They go over to Troas. Then they get up to uh, Philippi. That's the church of, Phil of the Philippians up there. So that's when they first meet them, Lydia. Uh, they go down to Thessalonica. That's the church of the Thessalonians uh, that he develops. And, and, and in the same time, if you look at the green line, the third missionary journey, they're kind of revisiting a lot of those same churches, went a little bit different route. Uh, but they come down into Corinth. So you see the Corinthian church there in Greece. Uh, and also a brief time over there in Athens, but he writes to the Corinthians and he crosses uh, the Aegean Sea there and goes to Ephesus. It's important just knowing, hey, Paul, where are you from? What'd you do? Number one, Paul is introducing himself in this letter as the apostle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sent him, called him to go. The church anointed him to go, and he went. He did it, you know. Uh, the third one in green, like I said, when he gets over to Antioch, instead of going up to Troas, he goes straight over to Ephesus. Uh, and then goes up and visits Philippi again, comes back down, revisits Corinth, goes back to Ephesus again. So you see Ephesus is the center in the second and third missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. The fourth one, of course, is his journey all the way to Rome, in which he eventually meets his death for the sake of the gospel. So the Apostle Paul, he's introducing him this, he's introducing himself this way in this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Saul identifies himself this way. Saul uh, coming before uh, Ananias, Ananias coming to him. Ananias uh, confirms what uh, Saul would do. And, and listen to this, what he told him in Acts 9, what Ananias said. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name, so he's carrying the name of Jesus, before the Gentiles. This is the thrust of his ministry uh, of, the of Saul to the Gentiles. But he says, and kings. Now, I've already mentioned a little bit of him being brought before kings. So he's before kings. He does that in Acts. And the children of Israel. So when you read about uh, Saul... When he went into these towns, he usually first, if it was big enough to have a synagogue, he went there first. So he was ministering to the people of Israel also, preaching to them. He usually didn't last very long there before he got thrown out, and he had more hospitality amongst the Gentiles, and he had more success. And so um, that's what his, the thrust of his ministry was, and you can see the churches in which he established were uh, largely Gentile in, in nature. And so Acts 13 uh, begins to mention in Acts 13 too, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They knew what that work was. I mean, Ananias had told him, Saul had seen Jesus, he knew what that work was. So this is a confirming prophetic word about that work, but the Holy Spirit specifically is speaking in timing, set apart for them now, that work. That, so after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off. 
And that sent them off, that's apostle. <clears throat> they apostled them. Okay? They sent them off. That's what it means. They sent ones. So there you see also the name in Acts 13 a little bit later. But Saul, in verse 9 of Acts 13, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. So you see him taking the lead in this ministry right, right away. And you hear for the first time Saul's name who was also called Paul. Now, a lot of people have heard that, well, he was Saul, the persecutor of church, this raging madman, and then when he met Christ, he became Paul. If you've heard that, that's not uh, accurate. Um, actually, uh, Saul uh, was his Hebrew name, as we've seen, and uh, his Roman name was Paul. Many people in uh, Rome had their a name, which was the country, they, uh, they had two names. They had the name of where they were from, which was for Saul. It was Hebrew. His Hebrew name was Saul. Still remained Saul all through his whole life. Uh, but his Roman name was a Latinized version, a Roman Latinized version of Saul, which was called Paul. So he was called both. And uh, every Roman citizen had, like I said, these other, uh, at least two names. And that would have been natural to every Greek and Roman who crossed uh, Paul's path would have called him Paul. Acts 22, 25, uh, at the end of that uh, defense, Paul is about to get uh, beat and whipped. And for whatever reasons, this is the only time, because Paul was whipped several times. We'll look about when we look at his suffering for Jesus' name. But in this case, in Acts 22, 25, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, they had him strapped up, tied, about to let him have it. And Paul says, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen? So Paul was a Roman citizen. Growing up in Cilicia and Tarsus, he had uh, gained his Roman citizenship. The scriptures doesn't say how. And this is the only time he actually, you know, he really claims that to keep out of being beaten and whether the Holy Spirit just wanted him to why maybe he was going to beat in this case and kill him which could happen uh, you were beat within an inch of your life but sometimes they failed and beat you a little too much and you died um, and so for whatever reason Paul claims his Roman citizenship there and his Roman citizenship shows also why he would have had that name Paul I just grew up hearing that he was Saul and then he got converted and his name was changed, you know, to Paul, but that's not the case, as we can clearly see. Saul uh, ends up coming before kings, and then coming before King Agrippa in Acts 26, um, he, he, he restates his, his calling. He says, O king, I saw on that way a light on his way to Damascus, and he gives him his testimony, brighter than the sun that shone around me, and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, so he's saying those around him were scared too, they fall. He says, I heard the voice, though. It doesn't say they heard the voice, but he says, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is Saul before King Agrippa, giving his testimony. And then he adds this, which we don't hear earlier, but what Paul heard. He says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And this is... Um, in shepherding, you would have a goat, a sharp end of the stick, and when you wanted a sheep to go a certain way, you'd poke it, and it'd go over there. And Hey, you're getting out of line. Poke it. Goat it. Get it into line. Apparently, Jesus had been goading Saul, and he wasn't responding. He was ravaging, and he's saying, Saul, you're kicking against me. You're ki kicking against the goats. I'm trying. So he's, he's saying that. To, uh, Saul reveals that in his testimony here before uh, Agrippa, your testimony can change a little bit. You can add certain details in different areas. And here he says it, that Jesus said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then Paul responds here and said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Uh, real similar to the Acts 9, of course, uh, testimony. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Remember, Paul said, I am an apostle by the will of God. I am a sent one by the will of God. When you're sent, you need to know who you're sent by <clears throat> and what authority you have when you're going. And he's saying this to King Agrippa. Um, he's saying that he was sent by, <clears throat> and here's his calling for this will, for this purpose. 
to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen in me, to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, it's Apostle Jesus, I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. I mean, this is Paul's testimony, what Jesus told him that he would do, that he's testifying before King Agrippa, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus has told the apostle Paul that. He has sent, them to, he has sent him out to proclaim that message, and he is doing it. You think of delivering them from the power of Satan, to God, you think of Colossians 1.13, who has delivered you from the power of darkness, from the domain of darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, and delivered you into the kingdom of his son. I mean, he, he said, you guys, it's happened to you, Colossians. He's done that. He's given you kingdom transfer. He's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness and Satan to God. And that's what Jesus told him. You'll, you'll open up their eyes, and, and they will see... Uh, uh, deliver them from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. Paul did that faithfully. We've seen his, mission, his missionary journeys. He goes on to say that it's to everyone throughout Jer Jerusalem, uh, all through the region of Judea, and he said also to the Gentiles. That's emphasized. This was his thrust. And at the end of King Agrippa, he says in verse 23 of this chapter 26, towards the end of Acts, he says that Christ must suffer and that by being first to rise from the dead he will proclaim light to both our people and to the gentiles paul preached that message he was that sent one but if you noticed from the map i was kind of showing you where the the lycus valley was along the lycus river paul didn't go to colossa colossi he didn't go right into that region right there can we pull that map back up the last one that one so see where Colossae is the little dot and then see north of there where Hierapolis is and then see where Laodicea is see those three little dots you guys don't see them it's not big enough you need to magnify it for the people whose, whose eyesight I don't think they can well uh, you see Greece maybe that's darker Athens and you come over and you see Ephesus you know right here and then you go over and there's three cities right there Hierapolis Colossae and Laodicea it's right in the middle of Asia Minor there so uh, north of where Paul grew up um, <clears throat> and was born and so those three cities right there are mentioned in the letter to the Colossians because they're real close they're within about a 12 mile radius of each other and so we read about them <clears throat> in Colossians Four. Uh, let me see. Uh, Twelve, Colossians two one. First of all, I want to show that Paul wasn't at Colossae. Besides the missionary journeys, which shows that he didn't go there. Colossians two one says, "For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, y'all, in in Colossae, and for those at Laodicea." So he's mentioned Laodicea. Remember how close they were together. So he's mentioned Laodicea there in Colossians two one, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Like, I haven't seen you all. I haven't been there. And he's saying that. But he's very close to them, even though he hasn't seen them. In Colossians 2.5, a little bit later, he says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. He's talking about this church that has been birthed there. He's with them in spirit. He may not have seen them face to face, but that doesn't hinder or stop the love that he has for them in the spirit. And he was just over the Gentile church, just over, over all. And you're going to see that he considers himself uh, over them throughout this uh, letter he wrote to the Colossians. So we're going to look at the salutations at the end of the letter a little bit. Um, you know, the farewells. And we're going to look at some more people to get to know. So how did the gospel get to these Colossians? And we're going to meet this person called Epaphras, okay? Epaphras, would be the better way to pronounce it, Epaphras. It's kind of like if you start, you know, pronouncing a name, you might know like Spartacus. 
you know, everybody, like, have you watched, have you seen Spartacus? Yeah, that's a great movie, and they know how to say Spartacus. It's kind of like getting into those Greek names. So this is Epaphras, okay? So Epaphras, I said it wrong. <laughs> it's more Epaphras. And so here's Epaphras, and in Colossians 4, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you. That means he's one of the Colossians in this whole area. Epaphras, who is one of you. A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. This is Epaphras. He's struggling. He's praying for them. He's one of them. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, for I bear him witness. This is Paul bearing witness to Epaphras. He's bearing witness of him. That he has worked hard for you and for those in, and he mentions these two other cities, Laodicea and in Hierapolis. So all this region. So where did this come from? Where did Epaphras learn all this gospel and go out from? This points us back to Acts. Now in Acts we have all of Paul's missionary journeys and going to Philippi, Thessalonica, all these places, but we don't have him going to Colossae. But it says this when he's in Asia Minor, when he's at, uh, at, at, at the church at Ephesus. And Paul spent a, the bulk of his time that we have in Scripture at Ephesus. And in Acts 19, verses 8 through 10, it says, He entered the synagogue in Ephesus, which that's usually where he entered first, preaching to his Hebrew brothers. And for three months he spoke boldly in the synagogue, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief and speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, those who had believed, taking them out of the synagogue, so speaking bad of the way, evil. They're not going to believe. They're rejecting the gospel. And he takes them, it says, he withdrew with them and the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So he goes to this different building, different location, and some manuscripts, when it says he was reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus, and it says that he continued for two years doing that, think of that, for two years, after three months there, two years in Ephesus, training and teaching in this hall of Tyrannus, some manuscripts have there from the fifth hour to the tenth hour, that is from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., for you know five hours a day and if you read through acts of the apostle paul you can see that he can preach till uh, kids fall asleep in the window and fall out and die you know and so he just would go on and on with teaching as long as people were willing to to listen so for two years he did that and then interesting in acts 19 verse 10 it says this so he continued this continued for two years this this teaching that paul did so that all the residents of asia heard the word of the Lord. You can see the word of God going out from Ephesus to all that Asia Minor and that whole area. So this is where, you know, Epaphras would have gone out from the church at Ephesians, from Paul and under him, like sent out. And he's like, well, I'm returning home. You know, I came, I listened to Paul. Now I got to go back to Colossae, Colossae, my hometown. And he goes back to Colossae. And there he begins, hey, I heard this guy Paul, and I'm a believer in Jesus, and he's preaching and ministering to them and leading them to the Lord. And this is what the introduction still to Colossians says. In Colossians 1-7, it says, just as you learned it, and he's just referred to the gospel, just as you learned the gospel from Epaphras, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your, y'alls, the church at Colossae, y'all Colossians. Epaphras, he's your brother who brought you the gospel. Here's how it came out. Acts 19 again, that's how it came out. All of Asia, all of Asia heard about the word of the Lord. Got sent out. This message is on fire. And believe it or not, this message is still on fire today. The same message is still going out for hungry hearts all around the world. It's exploding in Africa. It's exploding in Iran. This message is exploding in South Central America. It's growing, growing by leaps and bounds. It's withered and died in, in Europe, slightly on the decline here in America, fading out, but growing. 
around the world, and it will continue to, just like it went out here uh, through the faithful work and ministry of Epaphras. I love him. I want to meet him. I am meeting him. I'm introducing him to you today, and you will get to meet him forever. This is part of your family. But he doesn't bring the letter to them either. Paul, in the salutations and farewell in Colossians 4, mentions Tychicus. He's this guy who's a deliverer of the letter. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 4. He says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. So he's not just a courier of this letter. He's going to preach to them. He's going to encourage them. He's going to tell them what the Apostle Paul uh, is doing, speaking, telling, the latest letters, everything, what he's doing, and he's going to encourage them. He's a, a minister also. He's mentioned in other times in Acts 20. He's mentioned in uh, Ephesians 6, 21. He's mentioned uh, all through here uh, in 2 Timothy and in Titus. So you want to know Tychicus, right? You want to know him and get to know him. He's delivering this letter. Oh, he just delivered the letter. Who needs to know him or his name? It's like we do. We, de- we need to know him. He's our, our brother forever in Christ. He's some of the people we'll get to sit around with in heaven forever ever and know. And you might even remember, yeah, some crazy preacher, Bobby Barnett, mentioned your name back in then. I still remember you. I think you say it, Tychicus. But anyway, there's these other guys that he mentions. He mentions Onesimus who is one of you. Now, Onesimus, again, is a, is a Colossian. Onesimus is important. Uh, he mentions uh, Aristarchus. He mentions Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Mark, again, we just came out of the Gospel of Mark, the writer, recorder of Mark. He mentions him. He mentions Jesus, who is also called Justus. And Paul says these are uh, Hebrew guys like him. But then he mentions all these uh, Gentile, Greek guys. He mentions, uh, in verse 12, again, he mentions Epaphras who's one of you too, like he's just mentioned Onesimus, who is one of you. And so they're both from Colossae. He mentions Luke, the great physician. He mentions uh, Demas. This is a guy that falls away from the Lord later. You don't even have to remember his name. Uh, Paul Paul later says, he's forsaken me for the love of this world. Uh, But there's a lady named Nympha. She's at the church in Laodicea, and they're meeting in her house, and he's mentioning her. And when this letter's been read among you, make sure you also read it in Laodicea. They would pass these letters around. Read the letter I wrote to them. We don't have that letter uh, unless it's possibly the letter that he wrote to Ephesus, which it could have been. Uh, they were sharing these letters that Paul wrote. They were the Holy Scriptures. So he mentions the Laodiceans again and uh, the letter that he wrote to them. And then he says, and to Archippus, he mentions Archippus in the closing of the letter. This is the word of God. This is scripture. God, God could have let it out. He could have just said, Colossians, you're facing this. Here's your teaching. Here's where you're going wrong. Here's what right. Worship God. This is who Jesus is. That's it. But he doesn't. He spends a lot of time in the introduction of who these people are, and he spends a lot of time, another whole chapter, about the, the salutations and farewell. So why? Because we need to get to know people before we just say, give me all your information. Download into me. I am a computer. I just want your information. Give it to me. I don't really want to know you, who you're from, what you are, how to say your name, or anything. Just give me the information. I want to get on the computer and I want to know things. That's not it. Life is about knowing. Life is about loving. Life is about coming to know people. Life is about coming and walking alongside people and loving them. Even if you might get some things wrong along the way, you love God and you love people. And that is the source of everything we are here at Grace Harvest Church. This introduction is important. These farewells are important. And they are holy scripture. Each one of these is holy scripture when he's mentioning these names. These names will live on forever. And what they did will live on forever. It is the word of God. It is this letter to the Colossians. So in mentioning Epaphras, Onesimus, and and Archippus, Uh, we see that this points us to the letter of Philemon uh, because Philemon is a follow-up letter to Colossians. It's only one page long. It's the shortest letter written by the Apostle Paul. All three of these guys are mentioned uh, in Philemon, Philemon, get his name right, 
uh, Philemon, and he opens that letter, the Apostle Paul, he says, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, our sister, and Archippus, there's Archippus again that I just told you he mentioned in Colossians 4, our fellow soldier, so he's saying Archippus is a fellow soldier in the Lord, man, he's, he's going out, sent him out, he's taking the kingdom of God out, he's a soldier in Jesus' army, that's how Paul refers to him, to Philemon, and then he says, um, to the church in your house, so the church uh, in Colossae was meeting at Philemon's house, and a lot of people believe that the other two people he mentioned here, since he's saying the church in your house, Philemon, Athea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, are Philemon's wife and son. That doesn't say that right there in the scripture, but it makes sense and he, since he says the church meeting in your house, like this is your household. Um, but regardless, there is Athea, our sister, and Archippus, our soldier. They're part of the Colossian church, and the Colossian church is meeting at Philemon's house. Did you guys know that? Philemon's house, that's where the church met? Some of you knew it. Wow, that's great. I, it was surprising to me. I was like, Philemon, really? That's where they met in his house? Great. Okay, so learning these things, it's like getting to know the Apostle Paul, getting to know the people that he's mentioning who were at the church of Colossae, even though he himself wasn't there. One of the ways you get to know somebody, if you ever start getting to know somebody deeply, is they'll open up about their sufferings. When you get, when they start trusting you enough, they'll start saying, my life had this, my life had that. I didn't get along well with my father. He abused me. We hear stories all the time. My mother had, back then, schizophrenia and was so angry towards me it was just I didn't even know what was going on but now I kind of understand what was going on uh, it's just story after story I've heard these you know and they're in my own life and the apostle Paul was no less in his calling if you remember it's not just that he would the apostle Paul would speak before his Hebrew brothers the Gentiles and go to the Gentiles that he Jesus said, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. And Paul, the apostle, begins to talk about his sufferings at times. Uh, in Acts 9, verse 16, this is Jesus speaking to Paul. He said, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. The clearest suffering that the apostle Paul had, you can read through Acts and see when he was imprisoned at least three different times probably spent about five and a half years in prison, incarcerated, held, detained. You hear about his beatings. And in to the church at Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 11, he actually begins to just lay out his sufferings. He, I'm talking like a madman, he says. Uh, but he's just, he's just going to, he said, I'm just going to tell you guys. I don't know why I'm telling you. It sounds like I'm boasting in my sufferings, but I'm just going to tell you. It was, it was a way of trying to grab the Corinthian church because they were saying, oh, this guy says this, this guy says this, this teacher, Paul's nobody, blah, blah, blah. And Paul's just like, I know I'm talking like a madman, but if it helps to bring you to Christ and help you come into the authority of what I'm saying, I'm a minister to the Gentiles. Here's what I've been through. And he lays his soul bare to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. He couldn't even go back and remember them all. And often near death, often. Am I going to make it another day or not? Is this beating going to take me to my death? Is this imprisonment? Am I going to die here? Often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. The 39 beating, five times. He did remember that. That's beating you to within an inch of your life, you would call it. Five times. I actually believe like Jesus when he told Thomas in his resurrected body, put your hands here. Put your hand right here. Put it in my side where that spear is that Jesus still had those scars might have been healed. It might have been glorified. There might have been light shining out of that hole 
in is there, you know, because our scars are, are glorious when the light of Christ shines through our pain and our, our life. I don't really know, but I know in the resurrected body of Jesus, he told Thomas, put him there. Remember my sufferings. I did die. I am the one who was crucified and now alive again. So you might get to see Paul's scarred back, beaten five times within an inch of his life and go, look at the glory he bore for the name of Jesus. Not ugly scars, but glory shining out of them. Jesus shining out of his pain. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. It's a little different beating there. Beaten with rods. Three times. I was stoned. Stoned, stoned at one time, left them for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. Shipwreck, scary thing. Most of us haven't experienced that. You really think you're going to die. They spend a night and a day adrift at sea in one of those. On frequent journeys, danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, the Hebrews, danger from the Gentiles. They didn't like them either in places. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers coming in saying there's brothers sneaking in. Through toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night. Ever had a sleepless night? Paul had many of them. In hunger and thirst. Ever experienced hunger and thirst? Paul did. Often without food. Often. Often in cold and exposure. And apart from all those things, here's what he says. There's the daily pressure on me my anxiety for all the churches he cared and he loved the churches and he loved the church at Colossae Colossae like he had been there he loved them he cared about them he cared that the false teachers were coming in and why they might lead them astray he cared for this church he loved them he mentioned these other people who were in support of him in Colossians 1 Verse 24, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. You think about that. My sufferings for your sake. Paul, you never even went to Colossae, and you're suffering for their sake? Yeah, he knows he's suffering to build this church. He suffered to bring it to Ephesus. He suffered to bring it to Philippi. He suffered to bring it to the, that spread out through the whole Asia Minor region. And in Colossians 1, 29, for this I toil struggling with all of his in energy that powerfully works within me, struggling with everything I got in Jesus to bring the message of the gospel and keep you growing up mature in Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And this isn't just a little generic opening grace and peace like uh, dear you know so and so it's not uh, Paul kind of changed the whole <laughs> word of, of, of grace from just being Karen uh, which was a general greeting to charis which is a blend of Hebrew and Greek word charis this grace that was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ when he says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He's saying you all are in Christ. This was his favorite term for believers. Being in Christ. It encapsulated everything. Do you ever say, are you in Christ? I'm in Christ. Are you in Christ? It's like saying, hey, are you saved? Or what we might say. They said, are you in Christ? And Paul said, they are. He's saying to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And then he gives this blessing to them of grace and peace. It's, it's more than a, just a literary device of a beginning of a letter. It's a sincere prayer for the release of divine favor and power into the lives of those in whom he writes. He's saying grace to you. He's praying sincerely grace to you, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being in Christ, his grace comes to you. Kent Hughes, in a, one of the commentaries I'm reading on the book of Colossians, says, they shared a mutual 
domesticity of soul. In other words, grace leads you. They shared in their soul the same grace of the Lord Jesus. So when, I, when, when you say, hey, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, you're saying we share the same domesticity in our soul that we are in Christ. That's what Paul's introduction to this letter is. Grace to you. Grace to you. Those who are in Christ who have shared the deepest and most joyous of all mysteries that they are in Christ. They have partaken together of all that Christ has done. His death, burial, and resurrection. He's going to explain in the gospel after that the impact that's brought to him being in Christ. That they would be blessed in Christ. He's speaking blessing over them. Grace be to you. Grace, charis, a greeting to believers that the work of grace in their lives, that they've been a recipient of God's unmerited favor in their lives. Grace to you, Paul pours out. Charis to you. May you have the disposition, the dependency, the humility that makes you a ready receptor, receptor of God's grace. Grace to you. May you have that humility before him, that unmerited favor. It's no act of your own. It's unmerited. You couldn't do anything for it. He just pours it on you. Grace to you. It's just not an empty introduction. It's full of all that Paul knows of the grace of Jesus in his own life that he's passing on to them in the gospel of Jesus. Grace to you. And then he says, and peace. More than just an absence of, of trouble. It's, it's a well-being that comes from the presence of God. Sam Storms says this in his devotional book on his 100 meditations to the Colossian church. And he says, peace. He says, more than the absence of trouble, this originally came from the Hebrew word shalom, a well-being that comes from the presence of God. From the presence of God in one's life. Shalom, peace to you. It's this peace that we have with God by being in Christ. He's just saying they're in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace be to you. A peace that is objective also in nature. And that he explained in Romans 5 where he says, the peace of God is with you. You've delivered out of the wrath of God into peace with God. It's a justifying peace that the enmity that war that was battling against our soul in darkness has been cured by the cross of Christ and his resurrection and has brought us into a place of peace with God. We announce that gospel every morning here, delivered from the just and righteous wrath of God into peace with God. It's that, and it comes with that feeling. To be at cost, uh, at peace with God, Paul is speaking blessing on them that God will fulfill all of his promises to you in Jesus Christ, and you will have that restful assurance and very real sensation, peace, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You will rest in that. You will be, he's saying grace to you. He's saying peace to you. I bring my full apostleship to you, church. Even here today at Grace Harvest Church, I bring and I speak grace to you and peace to you. And you know how he ends this letter and how he ends most of his letters? Grace be with you. He speaks grace to them. He speaks the word of God to them through this whole letter. He mentions the people at the end, and he's praying for them at the end. May this grace that I announced in the introduction be with you, with you. Grace to you, grace with you. May we experience that grace today, and may we come to know this church in Colossae, and may we have a passion to know these, this church the people that are there, for they are our family, connected in our souls for all eternity. We will get to know them 
better and better and better. But let us have a hunger to know God's word and to know the people of his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Bob, do you want to come up and help me with communion? take and come to the Lord's table he's provided for us we're coming to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith that through his broken body and his shed blood we are in Christ we're coming connected through grace and peace to God our Father by faith in Jesus and his Holy Spirit dwells in us, the very hope of glory, Christ in you. As we come, come and take a cup. Has the bread in the bottom of it. If you're a believer and you're in Christ, you're welcome at this table today. And when you get back to your seat, we'll pray over it and take it together. Please come. was betrayed he took the bread and gave thanks to the father and he said take and eat this is my body given for you let us partake together of the bread like manner he took the cup and he said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins take and drink of it and when you do remember my death until I come let us partake of the cup together gracious heavenly father at your will and through your word we partake in this your son's supper that he taught his disciples to take through the apostle Paul instructions to the church at Corinth to do this every time we come together to remember your son Jesus Christ his broken body for us given for us upon the cross and his blood that was shed upon the cross through the crown of thorns upon his head to the nails in his hands and feet and through the spear that was thrust to his sides where blood and water flowed we remember his death we remember all that the cross of your son Jesus Christ bore for he bore our sins upon that tree and we praise you and we thank you may our hearts be anointed 
sing this final song of praise to you, remembering the death of your son, Father, and all the joy and love and peace that it has brought us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing together. became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so
difficulties and hardships with your children, grandchildren, family, husbands and wives. Grace be with you as you face struggles at work. Grace be with you as you struggle to share the gospel with those that you love or maybe don't love. Grace be with you and remain with you until we come together again. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Love one another.